I was so thrilled when Nancy Harrington said yes, said yes to being the speaker for our women's retreat at the end of October, and also said yes to coming and preaching here this morning and leading a seminar afterward. I have known Nancy for years. She and her husband are both Presbyterian pastors. Um, she grew up in Washington, D.C., actually started seminary at Fuller Theological Seminary, finished seminary at uh, San Francisco Theological Seminary. She and her husband moved to Sunnyvale quite a long time ago. Both were working at Sunnyvale Presbyterian Church. Then she got her own church. She still is pastoring this church in San Jose. And they have since moved over to Livermore, which was very hot over there yesterday. Um, she is, you'll learn many things about her and some of the most treasured things in her life are everything that has to do with the outdoors and everything that has to do with her horse. So many of you who are grandparents, the very first thing you talk about are your grandchildren. She loves her grandchildren and her children and her husband and her family, but she loves working with her horse. So anyway, we're glad you're here, Nancy, that you can bring the word to us. Welcome. Thank you. I want to thank you for allowing me to be here, and I just want to take a minute to just look at you all. I, it's just so lovely to see all of you and all of your faces and your eyes and, and this beautiful church, and you have a choir, and you have a baptismal there, and wow, and the reason why I say this is my little church in San Jose, we're about 20 and they've been going on for 30 years, and they used to be bigger, but you know how churches are. And we worship. We don't have a building. Wherever, I always say, wherever my cell phone is, that's where my office is. And right now my cell phone's in the car, so that's where my office is, I guess. And we worship at the YMCA in San Jose. So um, we have a little room there, and so this is, it's lovely to see all of you. And I just want to... Uh, tell you how wonderful Mary is. I know you know that, but I think you need to hear it from somebody who isn't part of your church. Mary is adventurous. Mary is creative. And really, I could listen to Mary teach all day. I mean, she's just got a lovely style about her. And I hope you feel the same way about her and that you know that you are blessed, that you are all together in this church. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, give us just enough light to see your truth and just enough courage to follow after that truth. Amen. Often when I ask people what they're grateful for, I hear some of the same things, family, home, a job, a good school, food on the table, you know, just the typical things that you might think that you are uh, very grateful for. And those are very, very important. But I want to ask you, just to be different, what is the strangest thing you are thankful for. Think about it for a moment. What is the strangest thing you are thankful for? Anybody want to say, shout it out. (laughs) 
Mud puddles. Yes. Air conditioning. And you know what? If you all want to do this, please do this. Anything else? Stuffed animals. Yes. I really like soap. I mean, isn't it a wonderful thing? And, and another thing I really love is ice, especially after I've been out backpacking. I yearn for ice in a drink. And I'm really thankful for color. And, and look at this color. I know this is from Pentecost, but it, when you walk into the, the sanctuary, there's color. It's just wonderful. And every night, I am so thankful for my pillow. Today, I want to encourage you to let your mind wander anytime during this sermon. As long as your mind wanders into gratitude. I invite you to think. Just let your mind wander. What are you thankful for? And if you have a chance, write it down or just keep it in your head. And by doing this, we are beginning the practice of the art of gratitude. And I want to tell you, this is good for you. It's good for me. Robert Emmons, a psychology professor at UC Davis, says that grateful people feel more alert, alive, interested, enthusiastic. They also feel more connected to others. Gratitude also serves as a stress buffer. Grateful people are less likely to experience envy, anger, resentment, regret, and other unpleasant states that produce stress. Who knew that expressing gratitude would have this kind of effect? The psalmist knew this, and it's evident in Psalm 111. So hear God's word. Praise the Lord. No, wait a minute. Let me say that again. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. There you go. Right off the bat, these are such wonderful words to say out loud. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. What an amazing thought in our lives where we seldom get the chance to do anything wholeheartedly. And while it's important to be a thankful person, the psalmist sees the power of being thankful together in the company of the congregation. You didn't know you had that kind of power, did you? As the congregation being thankful together. So the question to ask is, why is this psalmist so wholeheartedly thankful? And the answer is in the body of the psalm. But first, before I read that, I want you to know a couple of things, two things. One is that some scholars suggest that this psalm is in response uh, to the Israelites' exile from Egypt. So see if you can pick up those hints as I read it. And then the other thing about this psalm is that in Hebrew, it's line is a different letter, begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet in succession so that it was easier to remember. It's a little learning device. 
because remembering why we are thankful to God is really important. So here is why the psalmist is thankful. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He is ever mindful of his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Now from this text, I've come up with a few hypotheses about gratitude. And the first one is, more gratitude will not come from more acquisitions, but from more awareness of God's presence and God's goodness. Okay, so that's a no-brainer. But I state it because we are called to be about practicing an awareness of God's presence and goodness, which is what this psalm does. Gratitude is not something that we manufacture by willpower, although there are some times when I just say, I am going to be thankful. But our psalmist wrote eight lines about how holy and awesome God is. It's practicing an awareness of God's presence in our life. The bottom line is when we keep our eyes and our hearts open and aware, there's a lot around us to be thankful for. My second hypothesis is gratitude grows in humility. If I believe I am owed something, I will not be thankful for it because I think I'm entitled to it. Perhaps you've heard the story about a young man from a wealthy family who was about to graduate from high school. It was the custom in the affluent neighborhood for the parents to give their graduates a car. The son and his father had spent months looking and the week before graduation, they found the perfect car. On the eve of his graduation, the son was expecting maybe that in that box his father handed to him would be the keys to that car. But instead, his father handed him a Bible. The son was so angry, he threw the Bible down and stormed out of the house. He and his father never saw each other again. It was the news of his father's death that brought him home again. And as he sat one night going through his father's possessions, he came across the Bible his father had given him. He brushed away the dust and opened it to find a cashier's check, dated the day of his graduation in the exact amount of the car that they had chosen together. The problem is that we often believe that we are entitled and wonder why our sense of gratitude is so small. We are convinced that if we don't get what we want, then somebody somewhere must have messed up. What we lose is the ability to see ourselves as grateful receivers of grace. My third hypothesis is 
gratitude leads to a life of blessing. Now, this isn't to say that there's something magical about being thankful, and the only reason why we are grateful is to be blessed. That defeats the whole purpose. Jesus knew what it was like to live in gratitude. From an early age, he was taught two prayers. One of them was called the Shema from the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Lord, and Mary said this to the kids. Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. This is where wholeheartedness begins. And Jesus would pray that every day. And the other form of prayer that Jesus would do, it was called the eight benedictions. In Hebrew, a benediction was any prayer that began with the word bless. To bless is to speak good to somebody or about some circumstance. In the morning when they woke up, they prayed the 18 benedictions. Blessed are you, O God. At night when they went to bed, blessed are you, O God. In the middle of the day, they would pause and pray, blessed are you, O God, who abundantly forgives. Then they would expand that simple phrase, blessed are you, Lord, who heals the sick. Blessed are you who sustains the living and raises the dead. What these prayers did in their lives was train them for gratitude. It was a habit that they developed, that worked, that seeped its way into their souls. And you know, we do this every Sunday. When Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, what did he teach them? It was the Lord's Prayer, which is the 18 benedictions in summary. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, blessed be your name. The early church would pray that Lord's Prayer three times every day. But gratitude did not stop with prayer. Every meal was an occasion to express gratitude. Food was not eaten until people stopped and remembered it was a gift. And when we say our grace at meals, we're not blessing the food so much as we are blessing God who gave it. Jesus was raised with the general principle that we are to bless God for every gift. And not just for food, there was a blessing for a lamp because to have light in the world is such a gift. There was a blessing for seeing a comet. There was a blessing for looking at the ocean. They had blessings for visiting a holy place, for rain. And we really need to pray for rain. Blessings for completing a home. No occasion was too menial. And that's why I had you... Think about the strange things that you are thankful for. No, nothing is too small for us to give thanks. My first hypothesis is life with God will help me learn to be grateful for imperfect people and imperfect circumstances. Scottish minister Alexander White was known for his uplifting prayers in the pulpit. He always found something for which to be grateful. One Sunday morning, the weather was so gloomy that one church member thought to himself, ah, certainly the preacher won't think of anything in which to thank God on such a wretched day as this. Much to his surprise, however, White began by praying, we thank thee, God, 
that it is not always like this. Our life with God is not just about the ups. It's also about the downs. We thank God for being God in the hard times as well as the good. A rabbi once said, one is obligated to say a benediction over evil as well as a benediction over good. Why? Because evil is a good thing? Because suffering is a good thing? No, no, no. Of course not. Those are bad things and God is at work to one day overcome them. The rabbi said that one is obligated to say a benediction at all times because we are always in the danger of being thankful only when things are good and are going our way. When we do that, our threshold for gratitude gets higher and higher and we become ungrateful people. Being transformed by God means learning to see ways in which God is at work even in the bad situations. And, and I hate to say that because we all face those bad situations and I don't want to be grateful, but God calls us to be grateful for I know that all things, in all things, God is at work for good. And often we won't really know that truth for a long time. In 1636, amid the darkness of the Thirty Years' War, a German pastor, Martin Rinkhart, is said to have buried 5,000 of his parishioners in one year, an average of 15 a day. His parish was ravaged by war, death, and economic disaster. In the heart of that darkness, with the cries of fear outside his window, he sat down and wrote this table grace for his children. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things have done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. That's a hymn. We sing that. Can you imagine such a beautiful verse coming out of such horrid circumstances. And yet by the grace of God, it does, and it can for us too. And so how do we do it? Practice making gratitude an art in our lives. One hint is in the very last verse of Psalm 111. And here it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This last verse invites us to ponder, to take the opportunity to just be still and reflect on how God is working in your life and the life of your church. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and you know it's not that fear like you would have in a natural disaster or when faced with wild animals or walking down a dark alley at night. It's that sense of reverence, of awe, of wonder. In a world that's incredibly fast-paced, the psalmist invites us to look for ways to slow down enough to carefully reflect on what God has done, is doing, 
and promises to do. Our job is to show up and remember and see and be thankful. Now, those things that you might have wandered away thinking about that you were thankful for, maybe you wrote them down, maybe they're in your head, maybe they're in your heart. Let's just take a moment of silence here and just pause and practice the art of being grateful and thank God for those things you were thinking of. Thank you, God, for all our blessings. One last thing. I found a quote, and I just love it, so I wanted to share it with you. It's from Jake uh, K. Jesterden, who was a writer, a poet, an amateur theologian, and here's the quote. I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness Doubled by wonder. Gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. Keep that within. Keep that within. Amen.